the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Bible is not just a compilation of a bunch of neat stories uh, of antiquity. This is a book that spans 1,600 years, inspired by the Spirit through 40 different authors in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a little Chaldean in the middle of Daniel. And yet all of it is harmonious, and all of it doesn't contradict itself in any way, and all speaks to the same theme. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Timothy, 05 Part 2, Outdated, a Myth, the World's Oldest Game of Telephone. These are but a few claims that non-believers often make when it comes to the Bible. However, anyone with a genuine interest in the history and integrity of God's Word is often quick to discover the opposite. In today's message, Pastor Gary reflects on the remarkable consistency of Scripture. In his study, you'll learn how this timeless collection of 66 books, written over the course of 1,600 years, is much more than a mere book. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. I I remember years ago, we had a, a family that we were friends with, but they weren't saved. And uh, their son played Little League Baseball with, with our son, with Austin. And so we would always see him on the baseball field and struck up conversation. And they, they knew what I did. And, and so they would often say, we're going to come and we're going to come and visit your church one day. I said, that's great. I mean, they would say that all the time. We're going to come and visit your church. That's great. We're going to come and visit. Great. Heard it before. I finally was just like, I don't believe it. In my heart, I never said that. Never said that. But they kept saying it. And so, you know how we go straight through the Bible, right? We go cover to cover. On the day that they finally showed up, it was at the old building. This is years ago. They've been with us now for like 15 years or more. But the day, the first day they came, I'm in the book of Leviticus, and I'm talking about mold and mildew. And I see them walk in, and I'm like, great, great, Lord of all the Sundays, that they could come. I happen to be here in Leviticus, and I'm just like, it's all good, Lord, it's your word, but you're going to have to do something with this. Well, I got done, and I'm praying, and they're weeping, and, and the sanctuary is a lot smaller, so like I could tell, like it's coming from over there, and I'm like peeking as I'm praying. They're like weeping. 
They're like weeping. And, and when the service is over, we go over and talk to them, and they receive Christ on that Sunday. They just, and, and, the, Lord, and the Lord just translated Leviticus, and, and all of, so don't ever tell me that, well, some parts of the Bible don't really speak to me as much as other parts. I've seen people get saved at some of the passages that most people would go, I have no idea what that means. I'm not even sure why that's in the Bible. And, and they got saved. They've been, they've been in our church for years now. And so it's just the beauty of God's word. And so the Holy Scriptures able to make you wise through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he adds in verse 16, all Scripture, all Scripture. Now, it's a different Greek phrase there. It's pasagrafe. And pasagrafe will include now New Testament as well as old. Even though the New Testament hadn't been officially compiled, Paul is writing letters and he understands the inspiration of the Spirit. And so he realizes that the sum total of what will be the canon of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, all Scripture is what? God breathed. I love that in the NIV. In King James, it says it's inspired, the inspiration of God. But I I just love this in the NIV, God breathed. It's the Greek word theonoustos. From two words, theo meaning God and nueo meaning to breathe. God's word is God breathed. The Bible is not just a compilation of a bunch of neat stories uh, of antiquity. This is a book that spans 1,600 years, inspired by the Spirit through 40 different authors in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a little Chaldean in the middle of Daniel. And yet all of it is harmonious, and all of it doesn't contradict itself in any way, and all speaks to the same theme. Now, over 1,600 years, 40 authors, three different languages. And by the way, three different continents, too. I mean, seriously, I'm not exaggerating. You couldn't get 10 reporters from the Washington Post to see the same event on the same day and write about it in one language, and all of it agree. So it's all a testimony to how God's word is inspired. Second Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That inspiration doesn't mean that people were in a trance and that God mechanically moved you know, their, their quill. All right? It just means that God used human vessels and their personalities. You can see personality revealed in Scripture. It doesn't take away or add to the story. It just is part of who the, the writer was that God used to communicate his very message. So that's why Paul is intentional here when he chooses these Greek words, uh, the, the theonoustos. It's God breathed, and it's useful for teaching. Okay, that's why we're here together. We're learning, we're studying, teaching, rebuking. Sometimes God's word challenges us, doesn't it? It rebukes us. If we're honest with it, if we allow it to speak to our hearts, it'll rebuke us sometimes, it'll challenge us, and it corrects, and it trains in righteousness, so that the man of God, is just a generic term, the man, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's the Bible. Now, I'll just add this part too, and I mentioned these things a couple Sundays ago about the benefit and the beauty of the Bible. The Bible guides me, Psalm 119, 105, which says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible refines me and breaks up the hardness of my heart. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, it's not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. The Bible brings conviction. Hebrews 4, 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible washes away the impurities of my heart, too. As I read the Bible, it also you know, has a cleansing effect. It just reminds me of, of God's cleansing work in my life. Ephesians 5.26, to make the church holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And it nourishes and matures me in my faith. First Peter 2 talks about how this is the word that was preached to you. Like newborn babies craves pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So that's the benefit of the Bible. And I just, you know, I can't overemphasize the importance of the Bible. And that's why it's central to our services. It's central to our, our time, whether you're in young adults or high school or middle school or women's ministry or men's ministry or koinonia groups, because we know the effect of God's word, and we want to teach it and to study it together so that God can do his good work in our hearts. Amen? Amen. All right, chapter four. I know you might be thinking, 15 minutes, how's he going to do this? But there's actually, from verse nine on, it's actually just farewell remarks. So let's take a look here. Chapter four, verse one. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and I wonder if You know, Paul realizes he's going to be among the dead soon. Again, this is the last letter that he writes before he's beheaded by Nero. But he has confidence. God will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Same theme. Preach the word. That's what he says to Timothy. Timothy, your pastor here, the church at Ephesus, preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Uh, What does that mean? That basically means whether there's little fruit or much fruit, whether it's well-received or not received at all, whether it's popular or non-popular, you preach the word and you be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I I love that, that Paul warns, you know, this is good advice for any pastor, for any preacher, like be careful with this. This is God's word. So sometimes it'll correct, sometimes it'll rebuke, sometimes it will encourage, but make sure you do it with great patience and careful instruction. Don't, there's a saying that, you know, you can torture a text enough to make it say what you want it to say. And it's true, you know, Verses can be taken out of context, they can be twisted, they can be used, and the instruction here is be careful, careful instruction. He says in verse 3, here's this reminder again about some of the condition of the end times. He says in verse 3, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You know, we don't, we don't like the truth, so we're, we're, we just want people to tell us stuff that feel good on our ears. And this is, like I always throw this warning out, you, you should know your Bibles enough to be able to discern whether what I'm saying is true or false. You should be able to read your Bibles enough to know if every TV evangelist that you turn on your TV is saying what is true or false, 
or to read whatever Christian book comes out is true or false because the reality is that in the careful exercise of wisdom and discernment because you know your Bibles, there are sometimes you're going to turn on a TV evangelist and it's going to be like eating fish. By that I mean there, there can be some meat there, but there's also some bones that you're going to choke on. So be sure you spit out the bones. Sometimes, you know, people will come up to me and say, well, what do you think about this person on TV? What do you think about this person? What do you think about that author? What do you think about? And it's like, you know what? It's not so much about my opinion about these people. It, I, I want to do my job to help equip you so that you can be discerning. But I will say, be careful, because not everything you hear on television or see on television, or not everything you read in a Christian book is necessarily doctrinally accurate. And so be careful and exercise wisdom and discernment and spit out the bones. You know, I don't want to dismiss every TV evangelist or every author just because, the, you know, there are some things that are questionable. There, there's, there can be some truth, but if you, if you don't have enough wisdom and discernment to parse it out, what, what concerns me is that people who don't have enough wisdom to parse out, you know, what can be accurate from what can be inaccurate, is that they're just going to believe the whole lump and then we're just, you know, creating Christians who are believing things that aren't necessarily accurate because they're not studying their Bibles for themselves. So read your Bibles for yourselves and, and learn what is true. And be prepared sometimes to hear the stuff you don't necessarily like hearing. And I, and I appreciate that about, about you folks because there's no perfect church, please, and ours isn't perfect either. And if, and if you think it's perfect, don't join it, you'll ruin it. But, but what I appreciate is, and, and, you know, and it's not like I'm making an effort to, you know, beat the sheep. That's not the goal on Sundays or Wednesday nights. But sometimes, you know, going through Scripture, it, it's ouch. And it speaks to us. And, and I appreciate that you are willing to like, okay, this is sometimes hard to hear. But let's, we're in this together and let's let God's Word do His good surgical work in our hearts through His Word. Amen? And, and that's why he adds there in verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you, but you, there's a few but you's in this section here, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, he's telling Timothy here, discharge all the duties of your ministry. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, verse 6, and the time has come for my departure. He knows that death is near. And he makes this reference to a drink offering in Leviticus 23, 13. In the Levitical law, you could actually offer an, uh, a wine libation to the Lord. It was, just a, a, it was a, just a wine sacrifice. You could pour out wine on the altar of the Lord as a sacrifice to the Lord. It wasn't a blood sacrifice. It was just a honoring the Lord with part of the harvest, the fruit of the vine, pouring it out to the Lord. And so Paul uses that from Leviticus 23, 13, as a picture of his own life. He's like, I'm being poured out. You know, I'm, I'm recognizing that the end of my life is near. I mean, he's, he's in the maritime prison in Rome. He knows that he's, he's, he's going to be beheaded soon. He doesn't have any great confidence he's going to be released, and he's right. Again, because when Rome burned in 64 AD and Nero blamed it on the Christians, Paul got swept up in, into that arrest, and, um, and, and they're not going to let him out. And he knows it. He's like, the time for my departure has come. And he says in verse 7, and I love this, this verse, I have fought 
the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want to be able to get to the end of my life and say that. I hope you do too. Doesn't mean it's been a perfect fight or a, always a well-run race. But to be able to say, I, I fought the good fight and I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. You know, I always remember Pastor Chuck Smith saying, it doesn't really matter what kind of a start you got. What matters is that you finish well. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And he he speaks there about a crown. Interestingly, in the New Testament, there are three crowns mentioned that believers may receive. The crown of righteousness, he says, not just for himself, but for all others who have been longing for his appearing. Uh, James and John, James writes about it in James 1.12, and John writes about it in Revelation 2.10, talks about the crown of life. And then there's the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5.4 that Peter talks about. So there's the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of glory that, that we will receive. Now, don't don't get all worked up about this concept and thinking, wow, cool, you know, how many crowns can I get on my head? You know, hey, this is wonderful. The Bible tells us crown of righteousness, crown of life, crown of glory. I wonder what my crowns will look like. I wonder how many jewels will be in my crown. And you start to kind of daydream about it. Don't get all worked up about it because Revelation chapter 4 tells us that when we see the Lord, we're going to throw our crowns at his feet. So you won't be walking around going, hey, I got three crowns, you got one. Because it's all going down. We're all just going to be undone in the presence of the Lord. We're going to be taking off our crowns and throwing them at his feet. Verse 9, this is when now Paul gives these final remarks here. He's going to name 17 people by name. So for all intents and purposes, again, this is his farewell letter. This is like his, his closing comments. This is like a will. You know how you mention people in your will? And this is his farewell to these people. He says in verse 9, do your best to come to me quickly. He's asking Timothy, for Damas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Now, Damas is mentioned in, in a couple of his other previous letters. It says that he has deserted Paul because he loved this world. We don't know if that means he's deserted the Lord, just as he's deserted Paul. It does say, though, that he loved this world, and 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or anything in the world, for whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we don't know, is this Paul's way of saying that Damas has, you know, abandoned the faith here, or, or what, but we can't read too much into it other than what it says. He loved this world, and he deserted Paul, and he's gone to Thessalonica. He mentions also Crescens, has gone to Galatia. Uh, Titus to Dalmatia, which is a town with a lot of dogs, by the way. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> we'll talk about Titus uh, next week, Lord willing. Only Luke, verse 11, only Luke is with me. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helping. He's helpful to me in my ministry. That's a great verse because Paul had a disagreement with Barnabas over, over Mark, which is John Mark. In their missionary journey in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas and Paul went two separate directions because Paul was so angry about John Mark 
that John Mark was, didn't really have the guts to go on these missionary journeys, and he bailed at Pamphylia. And so Paul says to Barnabas, and, they were, and Barnabas and John Mark were related. Paul says, that, you know, he's your family, but he ain't mine. I, I ain't going with him anymore, and I'm having nothing to do with him. But now Paul is nearing death. And you know how it is that if you know that death is imminent, you start, you start to get it right with people, don't you? And you start to make sure that, you, that you've told them you love them and you, and you get right with them. Death has a, an honest way of making reconciliation between people. And so he knows he's dying. He says, get, get Mark. Bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. He said, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. So it's, it's a very cold, dank prison. So he wants his cloak. Uh, and he also wants the parchments, which is really uh, portions of the Old Testament. He wants, he wants to be reading Scripture as, as he's dying. He says in verse 14, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. We don't know in what way. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? He's going to give him to the Lord. You too should be on your guard against him, he says to Timothy, because he strongly opposed our message. There are people who were just opposed to the gospel, and this guy's one of them. Paul says, he's done me great harm. Timothy, look out. Verse 16, he says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Isn't that sad? May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth, probably a reference to Satan. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, and notice, he's confident that the Lord will deliver him from every evil attack, but he realizes, and we need to realize this, God's deliverance does not always come in the form of how we want it, this side of heaven. Sometimes God's deliverance is eternal. And that's no poor reflection on the Lord. You know, Paul knows that God is going to rescue him from every evil attack, but part of that rescue might be simply taking him home. Because that's why he adds, and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. And then he adds, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus, which is an interesting little comment because even the apostle Paul could not heal at will. He was just the vessel. And Paul was used to heal many people. You can read the book of Acts. But that doesn't mean that he could just perform at will. This was God's doing. This was God's miraculous touch. And for whatever reason, Trophimus was someone that he had to leave sick in Miletus. And then he adds in verse 21, do your best to get here before winter, he says to Timothy. We have no record that Timothy ever saw him again. We don't know if Timothy ever got to Paul before Paul was beheaded. But he asks him, see if he can get here before winter. He says, Eubulus greets you, and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. And then he ends the very last thing that Paul writes, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. <laughs> 
If you'd like to explore more of these messages from the book of 2 Timothy, you'll be able to find them at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find all of Pastor Gary Hamrick's Through the Bible teachings there. And you can subscribe to our podcast to never miss a new edition of the program. We're glad you took time to learn from the book of 2 Timothy with us today on Cornerstone Connection, and we hope you've been encouraged listening to the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul was nearing the end of his life when writing to Timothy, but he wasn't planning to slow down his ministry. Paul wanted to continue to share the gospel message wherever and however he could, serving his Savior until his final breath. Paul's mindset is one that you're encouraged to adopt too. No matter your age or stage of life, you can be serving Jesus. You can continue to tell the story of the gospel and lead others to the grace and hope that you know. We'd love to come alongside you in prayer as you continue to minister for the kingdom. So please give us a call and let us know how we can do that. 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Thanks for tuning in today. Pastor Gary will have more to share next time right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.